What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica, meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Murtada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it. And this week, we're going for one of the big ones. There are kind of six of them, but I think she appears in maybe three at the most. So, of course, we're talking about Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring is the movie we'll most talk about, but there are, of course, that one had two sequels. And then a few years later, there were The Hobbits, which was a series of three movies. In all of these movies, she is credited as Galadriel. And it is one of her most iconic parts. As I have talked to many guests on this show, a lot of them, when I ask, when did you first notice Kate, they mention Galadriel and Lord of the Rings as their first introduction. Even though it came a few years into her career, other people like me were introduced and fell in love with Elizabeth. But for a lot of people, it was Galadriel. And for this conversation, I am very excited to welcome to the podcast filmmaker and the co-showrunner of the web series Wormholes. Please welcome Conrado Falco. Hello, Conrado. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I'm really excited to talk about Kate today with you. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, and... When we were discussing you coming on the show, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about Lord of the Rings, which frankly, and I will admit to my listeners and to you, it was one of the movies that I was apprehensive about discussing. One, because there's so many of them and there are lots of hours to watch and Kate is not in a lot of the hours that you have to watch. And two, because I'm a casual fan of Lord of the Rings. I've watched the first three when they came out. Every Christmas, 2001, 2002, 2003, dutifully went to the cinema, watched it, sat for the 17 hours that it took to see those movies. And I never thought of them again, except, you know, when I see memes or gifs of Kate as Galadriel. So tell me, Conrad, why do you want to talk about Lord of the Rings? Oh, wow. Well, um... A couple of reasons, actually. I still love those movies, but I especially loved those movies when they came out. And I was uh, pretty young back then, um, kind of middle school age. So I was falling in love with movies, really starting to think about them. And it was the perfect, you know, storm uh, with those three huge Christmas releases that were just fantastic and spectacular. Yeah, they are a phenomenon, and they were very successful. And I don't think there is anybody even who casually watches movies who hasn't seen The Lord of the Rings, because also they played on TV, at least here in the U.S., a lot. And they are available everywhere. Unlike with some other movies of you know, Kate's early career, it's very hard to find them. But these ones, no, they're available everywhere. And if you're, watch and if you're listening to us from the U.S., they're currently on HBO Max, so you can go watch them right now. Or just fast forward to Kate's scenes, um, mm -hmm. which you can also find on YouTube. 
<laughs> yes. That, that was my original idea when, when I, I mentioned this to you and I said, okay, let's do Lord of the Rings. I was like, maybe I'll just watch her scenes because she's not in that much of it. But then I put it on and I was totally immersed and I, and I got into it and, and, and my wife hadn't seen the movies and she was with me. So, so we just watched them and we just watched the first movie and then we were like, maybe she watched the next one. Okay, let's watch the next one. And then like over three nights, we watched the whole trilogy again, which was great for me. And now I feel super prepared to talk oh. about I have to admit, I watched the first one and then I watched bits of the two others and then I saw some other scenes from The Hobbit, which um, I've never seen The Hobbit. Um, so apologies for The Hobbit fans. If you're listening, I am sorry. I haven't watched those despite my abiding love and admiration for Kate Blanchett. Lord of the Rings are based on the books by J.R.R. Tolkien. And we're talking mainly about The Fellowship of the Ring, which is the first movie. It came out in 2001. It obviously was one of the biggest successes, one of those billion-dollar movies, which means everybody has seen it. It, was a, it had a major impact on the culture. Um, critically, it was very well received. In fact, if you go and read old reviews, basically almost everyone called it the best adventure film of all time. Or in the vein of that, there was a lot of hyperbole about how good it is. And they actually are very good. Like when, you know, when I went and watched The Fellowship of the Ring, especially after being inundated for years with superhero movies, which I watched about 10% of them. I did watch Thor Ragnarok, obviously, for reasons. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I watched Black Panther, but it's not like I watched every superhero movie. I've watched enough of superhero movies to be like, wow, these are really well made. It's a really well made adventure movie where. It sings like the scene, the, the camera is where it's supposed to be. The action scenes are exciting. The acting is good. The, everything looks good. And I think that's why they're very popular. So, Conrado, can you tell us what is The Fellowship of the Ring about? So, The Fellowship of the Ring is the first movie, like you said. And it's basically the whole trilogy, really, is the story of this guy, Frodo, who is a hobbit, who are these kind of like little creatures, kind of, I don't even know how to describe them, like dwarf-like, but there's also dwarves in the movie, so let's not get too confused. They're hobbits. hobbits. <laughs> we don't know what the hobbit is. We don't know this movie. We've heard of the word hobbit a million yeah. times at this point. We know what the hobbit is. So Frodo's a hobbit. He is given this ring, which is a magical evil ring that was um, worn by the evil kind of emperor Sauron. And now Sauron is trying to come back, and he wants to get the ring... So um, Frodo is tasked with taking this ring to the, basically the volcano where the ring was produced, which is Mount Doom, and destroying the ring. And so in the, in the process, he encounters a bunch of different allies and enemies. There's wizards and elves and more hobbits, and, and they fight these monsters. And it's a big epic adventure, basically. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful epic adventure. And as a fan of Kate, I was very happy that she introduces the movie. We hear her voice first. The very first thing. Yes, absolutely. So she starts it all. And then she appears in all of her ethereal beauty as Galadriel. Um, almost immediately. So you don't have to wait for her, which I thought I would have to wait for her. But I didn't, which was a wonderful surprise, even though I have seen this movie before, but a while ago. Um, and then she narrates the prologue, which she explains this myth about the creation of the One Ring that has all this power. 
It began with the forging of the great rings. Three were given to the elves, immortal, wisest and fairest of all beings. Seven to the dwarf lords, great miners and craftsmen of the mountain halls. And nine, nine rings were gifted to the race of men who above all else desire power. For within these rings was bound the strength and will to govern each race. One ring to rule them all. From then we go on into Frodo and Bilbo Baggins and we meet all the characters. So this is, if you look at the cast, like it's not just Kate, this is like a who's who of people maybe in 2001 we didn't know, like Orlando Bloom, who now we know, or right. some people who were a little well-known, not as well-known like Viggo Mortensen, who people knew of, but definitely yes. after he yeah. played Aragon, he became a major star with that. And mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, Kate, when she made this movie in 2001, this was three years after Elizabeth, which shot her to international fame and earned her an Oscar nomination. But still, I think for the casual moviegoer, because all the movies that she made after Elizabeth, Elizabeth was a hit, but any, all the other movies she made after Elizabeth were little seen, with the exception mm -hmm. of The Talented Mr. Ripley, which was a blockbuster, a hundred million dollar movie at the time. So that movie was seen, but otherwise it was all these little movies that nobody has seen at the time. So I think back to my point earlier, this was probably the movie that introduced her to so many people. And also I think part of why Galadriel became iconic is the look. So let's talk about the look. So she has the pointed ear. She has the very blonde hair and the sort of white robes. In her big scene, she is very serene as she's walking down these steps. And then later on, she's gliding down. It's a very sort of iconic look of everything. Just, and there's a halo around her. So even though she's not yes. in a lot of the movie, you have, it's a very memorable um, visual, which is why I think this role resonated with people and why it's still one of her more iconic roles. Mm -hmm. Totally. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, the look definitely helps. And the fact that she's just lit, like you say, with a halo and she like produces her own radiance almost is definitely makes her iconic. But I do think since this is a Kate Blanchett podcast that she brings something extra to that you know like she because i feel like she brings an attitude of herself of like almost like look how incredible i am i'm like you know that i feel like kate bench is really good at, at doing that at bringing a lot of uh, attitude to the roles when it when they call for it and i can imagine a gladiator that it's kind of like very serious and serene and still but there's something in the way that, that she kind of looks at, at Frodo and at the other characters with kind of mm -hmm. like a bit of a winking thing mm -hmm. to it that I think brings it to another level of who is this woman and what's her deal, you know? Like, I think about her a lot while watching the movie, even though she's not in a lot of it. As a scholar of Blanchett, I think she's one. She is somebody who sort of knows how to have an impact based on how she puts herself in the frame. And, you know, some actors are just instinctive and it's all about their talent. And some actors know when they don't need to do much and it can be all about the pose. And there are in some of her performances, she goes deep, like Blue Jasmine, where it's all about the character and the acting. And in others, like I think here as Galadriel, it's more about the pose. It's more about how you are in the frame, how your body moves and how your costumes look. 
and she kind of knows how to just push it a little bit further to make whatever it is that the cinematographer is giving her, the director is giving her, the costume designer is giving her to just give it a little bit more with the way she puts herself in the frame. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at Lord of the Rings, there are other actresses who were in these movies. They're not as memorable as Kate Blanchett. I don't think there's any other actress in those movies that you remember or you remember her look. And it's partly, partly the part. Galadriel is an iconic part, but it's partly, like you said, Kate herself. Yes, yes, totally, the attitude. Because their parts are very serious and they play them very serious and very earnest, which is really good for what they're doing. But Kate Blanchett, and with this part, she just brings a little bit of, of playfulness that you don't see a lot in, in, these, in these other warrior types in this yes, movie. absolutely. You know, she's playing the queen of the elves and we're always sort of conditioned to just pay a little bit more attention to queens. <laughs> and to pay a little bit more attention to Kate Blanchett. <laughs> totally. That's the purpose of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so why do you think, so let's go back to the movies themselves. Why do you think they were so popular um, and sort of their popularity has endured, even though it's been almost 20 years since they came out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a theory about this and, and this is something that I didn't think go coming into this podcast when I proposed it, but I have been thinking about this quite a bit. And I have a theory about blockbuster cinema and that it kind of peaked around this time between like 99 and 2006 or so. Some of it might be nostalgia because I was, you know, the right age at the right time to be getting into these movies. Mm -hmm. But I do think that at some point, at this late 90s, early 2000s, we had all this new technology from the 90s, the computer effects, visual effects, they have like jumped so much in, in those years. But we weren't totally sure of how these movies were going to work and how these franchises were going to work. We didn't know that the future of the movies was going to be superhero movies and franchises yet. Mm -hmm. So this was a period where the studios kind of had to rely on these you know, these nerds that were the directors who were into these genres to make the movies and see if they worked. And so they, Peter Jackson comes along saying, hey, I love The Lord of the Rings, high fantasy. There hadn't really been a, a movie like this in this genre in fantasy mm -hmm. adventure that had been popular for less than years or so. So they kind of took a gamble and the studio didn't know what they were doing So because they thought, you know, there had been no good fantasy movies. They had nothing to compare it to. So Peter Jackson got to do whatever he wanted and he got to do something that really spoke to him and something that felt really personal and that was really spectacular. He got to spend a lot of money on it. And I think that is something that was really present then. I feel like that's also present in some other movies. Like maybe they're not quite as good as Lord of the Rings, but like The Matrix and, and the Star Wars prequels, I feel like they also have these tours kind of that get to do whatever they want with this mm -hmm. money and that yeah. got a little bit lost as they became more successful and now we have you know very by committee marvel movie movie making you know yeah i agree i mean peter jackson was a very talented director but when he was given this opportunity he had only made heavenly creatures and it's a great movie and introduced the world to kate winslet and gave us that career but it also was a very small intimate sort of story about two young women in 1960s England. So it 
it did not actually tell us that he could do this, but obviously somebody believed he could do it. And this was a gamble, not that we want to um, give corporations credit for anything, but it was sort of a gamble to actually spend all this money and invest in three movies because it was always going to be a trilogy. It wasn't like they made one and it was successful and they made the other two. It was always going to be a trilogy. It's absolutely crazy. I still can't believe that someone, some business people decided to do this. This should have not worked. This should have been a terrible deal. Like, they, you know, to just get this guy who had not made a movie like this before and give him so much money to make three movies at the same time. It's crazy. Yeah. That's never going to happen again. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I liked about this film, um, watching it again, is that it's very earnest. And usually earnestness is something that turns me off of movies, but this one is earnest done well in a way that we follow Frodo and his friends. And it's sort of like the scene where they become the fellowship, where he's like, I'm going to go and do it. And then everybody from Aragon to Legolas, and they all come, you will have my sword, you will have my bow and you will have my axe. And they all kind of come together and we're going to be, you know, this unit, this fellowship. And it's a very earnest scene. And it's like in any other story or with any other director, I think, and also the actors are all very good in that scene. It could have been something cringy, but it just, some, I found it very moving. It's like, this is about friendship. This is about people coming together to do something that is dangerous but they know they will grow from yes i totally agree and i think it's no coincidence that so many people have talked about including yourself i think you tweeted about it about the homoeroticism in some of these relationships between the male characters and my yeah. wife was also talking about that when we were watching the movie the later movies between aragorn and legolas and you were talking about Aragorn and um, Sean Bean's character. Um, Boromir, yeah. Boromir, yeah. yeah. And I think it's because of this earnestness of, of all these male characters being allowed to be very sentimental and very loving to each other. I don't, I'm not sure why. Maybe because they're all warriors, so there's like no gay panic or whatever that you would get in some other movies, but they're just very tender to each other. And it's very, very emotional, and it really works for me. Any, everything between Frodo and Sam always always makes me, um, you know, feel very emotional. I choke up at many, a lot of the times when they're, yeah. you know, talking about how much they like each other and how they're in this together and, you know. Yeah, and this is all the way Sam and Frodo look at each other with, like, these loving eyes. Um, it's they love very each other cute. so much. Everybody yeah. loves each other so much in these movies. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is very fun to watch. And, you know, my theory, you know, my thing about the homoeroticism between Aragon and Boromir is that if you look at the Fellowship of the Ring in that movie, their relationship follows the sort of romantic comedy beats. They meet each other, they kind of hate each other, and there's like adversity immediately, like, I hate you, I can't stand you. And it's because of some history, misunderstanding in their past history. And they're like, can't stand you, you're the worst person. I can't believe I'm supposed to be, you know, in the same room with you, in the same quest with you. You are the person I don't want to be with. And then as the story develops, they find out that maybe that was just a misunderstanding. And they misunderstood the history of this other wonderful person. And then by the end of it, it's the romantic comedy thing. It is a death scene. You know, Boromir dies as Sean Bean dies in most of his parts but it's also when they 
confess their love or in this case respect for each other <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely and, and on his deathbed it's kind of like i forgive you now let's we, we'll be together in the next life or something like that it's yeah yeah totally um so you know peter jackson if you're listening to this podcast which i doubt maybe you can do a 15 minute cut of all the scenes between sean bean and um uh, Viggo Mortensen, so we can get the romantic comedy you promised us with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I would watch that. I would have followed you, my brother. My captain. My king. What I really loved about the big adventure sort of battle scenes, and they're just so exciting to watch. From a filmmaking standpoint, they don't, look like anything else they really push the limit with with the adventure and with the battle with the battle scenes to make them so exciting because now we are, now we have seen so many and they all kind of look the same like even a superhero movie like the spider-verse which i really loved and that was a animation they even gave us the same end battle which is in all of these mm. movies but in the lord of the rings they're different and What I loved about the fellowship of the ring was the scale of these battles they were on a smaller scale um and there was a lot of hand to hand combat where you felt the stakes were really high like the scene where Gandalf falls for instance that was a scene where the stakes were really high that somebody could die and these it's just these few people seven or eight of them and fighting these huge monsters i love it's it's not small scale exactly but i think it's small scale in the way it said that the stakes are so high yes i have a lot to say about this actually i i agree with a lot of what you're saying um i think paired up with this thing of like grand scale small scale i think is that the action beats are so very well defined you know it's a huge battle but like every action beat we know what's happening we know what they got to do they do something cool but it's very specific and it's very clear what they're doing and the other thing to compare it with what you were saying about these newer movies that i think this this trilogy really benefits from is new zealand and the fact that they have all these huge new zealand landscapes that like it feels like it's a real world and you are like this is not you know this world exists i can see the mountains over there i can see the rivers and and it feels huge so when the f- battle comes you know that this is not like like people like to say a warehouse in atlanta where the marvel movies get are filmed right this is not yeah. created with cgi environments this it, you've seen the world so you feel like this is real this is happening this is you know and i think yeah. it's a huge difference yeah it it does make a huge difference and it's very exciting to watch this movie it is long and for somebody who loves movies i have i'm i'm also averse to long movies but this felt like it wasn't that long even though it does take its time it's very languid in its um in its rhythm um, but they take the time to spend like 15 minutes at the beginning introducing us to frodo and the shire where he lives and his relationship to bilbo baggins and to gandalf and that sort of establishes the friendship between these people and also you're watching Ian McKellen so i'm not going to complain about that he's a charismatic actor he's wonderful as gandalf he's larger than life especially when he's in the same frame with bilbo or and frodo so it's exciting i think the combination of just how good these people are the earnestness of it the way it's filmed new zealand which looks gorgeous everywhere they go 
and these actors that they chose, it's so well cast. Ian McKellen, for sure, I think, brings that same kind of magic touch or attitude that we're talking about with Kate Blanchett. I feel like they're both kind of tuned into that kind of like high Shakespearean, but also like a little bit fun, a little bit winking sort of thing that I think makes their performances really stand out. Yeah. Yeah. He's wonderful in this movie. And I remember I was very disappointed that he didn't win the Oscar because he he's the only actor ever nominated from these movies for an Oscar. And it was for the first movie. And um, I was rooting for him at the Oscars that year. And Jim Broadbent won who for, for Iris, which is, you know, it's a good performance when you look back at it, but it's also a very unmemorable performance. Like how many people today watch Iris? No one. Um, I've never but, seen it. Exactly. But I think he won because he was in Moulin Rouge and he was in Bridget Jones's Diary and mm -hmm. Iris. So he had a lot of movies that were um, mm -hmm. successful that year in the Oscar conversation. Um, I think if you wanted to be nominated for Best Actress, you had to have Jim Broadbent in your movie um, <laughs> because he was with Judi Dench, Nicole Kidman, and Renee Zellweger in three, right. in three of the five Best Actress movies. And so he won over Ian McKellen, but I think Ian McKellen present, you know, gave us an iconic performance as Gandalf. And yeah. this is sometimes where awards are kind of silly because Gandalf is a, is a performance and a character and that will be remembered as long as people watch movies and they will continue to watch these movies. You don't have to tell me about this. We, we both are like kind of like awards people, Oscar people. This, yeah. the Lord of the Rings movies are the movies that radicalized me, that got me into thinking about all these awards. I was, I would love the movies and I was rooting for them when, you know, I was a kid. I hadn't seen like most of the other nominees back in 2001. I was mm -hmm. just scared about Lord of the Rings. Is Lord of the Rings going to win? Is it not? And then there was the second movie. And then by the third movie, when they, you know, swept the Oscars and won an award after another, that was like, I was entering Nirvana back then. I was like, yes, finally, it's recognized, you know. <laughs> they did the third movie, The Return of the King, which Kate and Galadriel come back for that movie. Um, she, has a, she has a very nice scene in that one, too. That's the one that won all the Oscars. I, my favorite of all the movies is The Fellowship of the Ring because I love the setup of the story. I love the way that it introduces us to all the characters. I love the beginning of these friendships between the characters. Um, the Return of the King, I think, is marred a little bit by the fact that it had 19,000 endings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Watching them all again this, this week, I definitely agree Fellowship of the Ring is the best one. It's my favorite as well. Return of the King, the endings, seeing the movies in such close proximity makes it so that the endings feel a little less jarring that there's so many because you've spent so much time in such, you know with this so that it, it kind of feels like it's earned. Like you're like, yes, of course, we need more ending because we, we spend this time with the people. Totally agree you don't want to say goodbye to your friends, right? You know, yes. let's go back to have spend more time with Frodo and Gandalf and let's yes. visit Galadriel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Both the second and third movie, in my opinion, get a little bit, you know, there's a moment where you're a little bit like, oh, okay, we're still going. Okay, we're still going. And then it, of course, captures you again with all the action and whatever. But mm -hmm. those are the ones that I really feel, feel the length more so uh, than the first one. The first one is tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we will take a, a short break. And then we will be back to talk more about Lord of the Rings, about Kate Blanchett, and about her friendship with Ian McKellen. 
So Conrado, in this short break, tell us about your show, Wormholes, what it's about and where can people find it? Yes, so Wormholes is a, is a 10-part web series that I made over the summer, and it's a science fiction comedy. Basically, it's the story of two roommates. One is named Salman, he's a starving poet, and then Bayleaf is the other roommate, she's an influencer, and she's played by my lovely wife, Sajda, who does a great job in this show. And um, the thing is that there are these two roommates who have a wormhole in their apartment. So they have in their closet, there's an interdimensional wormhole that brings all kinds of wacky, otherworldly things into their world. And every, every episode, they have to deal with something new that happens to them. And they have to, they learn some lessons, sometimes poignant, always entertaining. Gwyneth, you goopy bitch! Living for those vagina eggs, queen! Bayleaf, it's your turn to take out the trash! Uh-huh. This trash emanates a foul odor. It betrays my senses. Oh my god, Salman, I'm going live right now. My baby's needing All this garbage isn't going to take itself down five flights. Just throw it into the transdimensional wormhole that dwells behind the doors of our hallway closet. Oh yeah, I guess I could throw it into the transdimensional wormhole that dwells behind the doors of our hallway closet. Great idea. Mm. That thing is so convenient. The name of the show is Wormholes, and it stars Gamal El Sawa, my lovely wife Saj the Wait, and also myself, Conrado Falco III, as Gaspacho the Super. Where can they find this show, Conrado? Yeah, so you can find it on Instagram at wormholes.tv if you use Instagram TV, or if not, you can go on YouTube and search for Wormholes on the Show Dogs NYC YouTube page. Thank you, Conrad, for telling us about your show. That was... So one of the things that people who are into The Lord of the Rings and who love these movies, I'm a casual fan, so I have to admit I'm not... I haven't dug deep into the lore. I, I do understand why people love them so much and feel like they need to dig a little bit deep into the lore. Because like we talked, the characters are very well drawn. The friendships between them are beautiful. It's an adventure story. And then the thing is... Tolkien created a complete world out of nothing. And world building is not an easy thing. And, you know, people try, Christopher Nolan tries to do it in every movie and almost never succeeds. But he created, he succeeded in building this world with its own rules, with its own different species of hobbits and dwarves and elves and, and languages. And the world was so attractive to people that people always want to dig deeper into it. One of the things that I think people like to, to talk about is the metaphor of the ring. What is this ring that rules them all? What is this sort of thing that has this power over people that, you know, it's so beautiful and irresistible, yet it wreaks havoc on your life? So do you have any theories, Conrado? I'm not totally sure if it stands for, for one specific thing, but it's worth remembering that he was kind of writing all this stuff around the time of World War II. So, mm -hmm. um, definitely a dark period in European history. So, and, you know, the ring is supposed to give you all this power and, and make you a, a, the most powerful person. And throughout those movies and, and the books, we see all these people who are already powerful. You know, the scene with Kate Blanchett with Galadriel is a great example. Mm -hmm. Be tempted to have more power. And, mm -hmm. you know, she's already the queen of the elves. She lives in this beautiful palace and she has all these elf, elven, you know, 
Uh, she has a ring. She has one of the original. She has her, yes, she has her own <laughs> ring. But the, this particular ring is so uh, powerful, apparently, that, that everybody gets tempted by it, you know? Do you have any theories about this? I mean, I think it's like a MacGuffin, right? Like a good movie has to have a good MacGuffin that everybody can have an explanation for. Everybody can see them in whatever it is that they're going through at that time. They have to get that recognizable thing. And I think this is the brilliance of this ring. And this, it can be to what you were talking about. You know, at the time that he wrote it, something like, you know, this was the Second World War. There was a lot of evil in the world. So it could be a metaphor. It could be about that. Or, you know, I was watching this with my husband and he's like, so the ring is drugs, which is like a sort of more basic thing because drugs have allure. Um, you know, they can be very exciting. They could be something that really takes you in and then destroys you, which is what the ring does. So it could be whatever it is that you see it as. It could be something historical, you know, big, huge, or it could be something small that also can wreak havoc on people's lives. It is a really great uh, device, like you're saying, because it's not just a thing, but it's a thing, you know, the MacGuffin. Like, it's not just something that they need to get or they need to get rid of, but it's something that has an effect on the characters, which I think really brings a next level kind of thing. You know, the, the, the scene with Kate Blanchett is a scene that I have thought about a lot and I remembered watching the movie this last time, how it affected me when I was a kid. The idea of these characters in this movie who are supposed to be the good guys, you know, or like the, you know, she's mm -hmm. the queen of the elves who are supposed to be the, like the pure, uh, most righteous uh, people in Middle Earth and also Bilbo and also Gandalf and all these people who are tempted by the ring and all of a sudden they kind of turn evil or they feel like, all shall fear me and despair. Is that what she says? Is that the quote? I think she says something like, all shall love me and despair. I think that's what she said, which is even better. Yeah, um, all shall love me and despair. It's a great one. It's a really it's, good Yeah, it's an incredible... It's like it's like a drag queen entering drag race. It's like when they come into the workroom, she'd say something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, totally. but yes, but as a kid, this really disturbed me because I was like, these are supposed to be the good people. And now they're like telling me that they want to be bad and take the ring. Like... You know, the weakness of, of these characters, their flaws really um, brought something new to me that I hadn't experienced. I was pretty young, so, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the main scene in The Fellowship of the Ring in which Kate Blanchett appears. So let's set it up. She, you know, the Fellowship goes to Elfland. It's, it has a name, but I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. I am looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and I don't think I can pronounce it. So for any LOTR big fans out there, I apologize. But basically, they go to her kingdom, um, her place, and she welcomes them. And then at, after they all go to rest, she comes gliding down in her full ethereal regalia to talk to Frodo and show him her mirror, which is kind of like, it's the mirror that all queens have, right? Like it's in all the stories about queens, you know, the Sn mm. Snow White's queen had a mirror. It's, it's something that we are used to seeing. It's not like, why, why does she have a mirror? But this mirror is actually more of a big bowl with water. Like I thought it wasn't a mirror really, but anyway, <laughs> he can still look into it. And she's like, she invites him to look into her mirror and he looks into it and he sees the future. He sees the good of like, he's going to spend time with Sam and he sees the bad, you know, he's going to lose some friends and things are going to get tough. And then that's when 
he sort of like shows her his ring and then what happens Conrado? Does he show her his, his ring or how does she get the ring in that scene? She shows the, you're right, she shows the water, Fur looks into it and then she talks about the ring and how powerful it is and how Frodo is in this quest and how she could use it to to bring power and then Frodo kind of offers the ring to her, I feel like, right? Mm -hmm. And she says like, Oh, so you're offering it to me. And that's when she goes into this kind of like yeah. uh, trance reverie of like all the things that she would do if she had the ring and she starts yeah. to become evil. And yeah. then this is my favorite is that she snaps out of it and she's like, okay, I passed the test. Yes. It's very, you know, she does the big thing of like, you know, and then the effects come in and it's like a scary version of the elfish queen who's all gray and black. And, and then she says the big line, which we will insert right here. In place of a dark lord, you would have a queen! Not dark, but beautiful and terrible as the dawn! Treacherous as the sea! Stronger than the foundations of the earth! All shall love me understand! A very memorable moment because um, they all like, you know, Aragorn does it and he passes too eventually, but this is the one that's the most memorable and it's the one that I have seen just shared throughout the years as the scene from this first movie because it is the scene that encapsulates what the ring is about, the allure of its power and how it can turn somebody even as lovely as Galadriel into this evil creature. It's, it's a big transformation and it's a scary one because you had sensed from before that she is powerful and that she has so much kind of magic to herself already that if it's, if it turns, if it's used for bad, what could happen, you know, like the, the stakes are pretty high. Yeah, the stakes are very high. If, if even Galadriel cannot resist this ring, who else will have the power to resist it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what, if there's no hope for the rest of us. It's, it's over. Yes. I love the way that we lead into the scene. You talked a little bit about this, about how I think Frodo's like about to go to sleep or something. And then she mm -hmm. kind of like appears and starts walking. And, and Kate Blanchett brings this whole like, oh, I didn't see you there. Are you going to follow me or what? You know, like, and then she keeps following, going down. And for, she just brings such attitude to this, you know, to talk like the kids do nowadays. She didn't have to go that hard for us, but she did. She did. She absolutely did. Um, I want to say something about Frodo. As I was watching this time, I was like, Frodo is kind of a damsel in distress. Like, he's always not sure of what's happening. He always needs to be saved by Aragon, even by Arwen. He is sort of the classic damsel in distress. But it's because maybe he's a guy. People don't see that. And I know, like, damsel in distress is a trope that people don't like in movies. That's why we now have things like Captain Marvel and all of that. But it was a trope that was in most adventure movies until around the time of The Lord of the Rings. And I think it's very sort of smart to inverse that and make mm. the lead of your movie a damsel in distress, but such a righteous, wonderful yeah. damsel in distress with all these convictions about he's going to go get it done. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's also a... I guess it is a testament to Elijah Wood's performance that I feel like on paper, this character would be very boring, wouldn't work, you know, like he doesn't really do anything. He is only getting in trouble all the time. And I think he does a really great job of keeping us invested in, in Frodo. Yeah, he does. He, he's wonderful in it. 
this was he was not very well known when this movie came out and this movie was such a hit and he i think like one of the reasons i think why he wasn't able to parallel this huge success into um a career full of varied and different performances is that he's just so associated in people's minds with this movie with this performance mm-hmm. yeah that happens right like it's kind of like a mark hamill with star wars or like yeah. harry potter guy um daniel radcliffe also kind of Yes. But, you know, this movie also um calculated, you know, Kate and Vigo and Orlando to these wonderful careers because the movies were so successful, their names became reason for financiers to finance their movies. So I think if you look at those people's pre-2001 and after 2000 and after 2004, you will see like the difference in the sort of movies they made. I think it's a little bit less for Kate because she was only already an Oscar nominee already hailed by critics and audiences and people in the industry as one of the best actors of her generation so i don't think these movies besides adding to the fact that she probably being in these movies helped her green light other movies i don't think it changed a lot of the perception about her but i think it probably helped her just get movies that she was interested in get made mhm She it probably helped her like buy a house or marry a couple. I would think. <laughs> yeah, I realized how important these movies were when I read about the abdominal movie Green Book and how that movie was greenlit because Peter Farrelly managed to get Viggo Mortensen interested in it, and the reason Viggo Mortensen can with his name green light a movie is because he was in Lord of the Rings. Right. Absolutely. So. There you have it. You can blame Lord of the Rings for Green Book. Oh no. <laughs> this conversation has turned. Um so one of the things that I love about this movie is that it started I think one of my endearing as a follower of Kate Blanchett. I love her celebrity friendships. Like you know, people currently are obsessed with her and Sarah Paulson because they do these interviews together which people then keep sharing as memes which is fun and adorable but also one of her lasting friendships is with Ian McKellen and they met on the Lord of the Rings um I think one of the videos that I have seen a lot of the times and you can go find it is a variety sort of actors on actors you know they do these series of actors on actors where two actors sit and talk to each other and there's one with Kate and Ian McKellen it was the year of Carol um and so from early late 2015 early 2016 something like that um and that is one of my favorite videos of Kate because <laughs> he sort of tries to say that th- their friendship was born on you know they would smoke after their scenes and she 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 doesn't want to admit that she smokes so it was <laughs> it is it's very funny if you go and watch it and then when she won the BFI lifetime achievement award which was also around the same time i think it was in february of 2016 um she won that award from from the BFI for her career and it was presented to her by Ian McKellen and he gave a very wonderful speech which she then responded to so that also is on youtube and so there is that wonderful endearing friendship between Ian and Kate it all started here people Yeah, the world is round people, like she said. <laughs> yes. If you are listening, go on our website sundayswithkate.com and find the last episode which will be the one about Lord of the Rings or and on you can come to us on Twitter at sundayswithkate and tell us why you love Galadriel because as I have been talking to people 
almost every guest who comes on this show has said that their first introduction to Kate was Galadriel. It could be something to do with the age of the people who come on the show. You know, they were just coming into movies around that time. Or it could be because this is such a huge cultural character, you know, a character with a huge cultural impact. So I want to know why people love Galadriel. So tell us. And Conrado, I want to ask you, when mm -hmm. do you remember the first time you saw Kate and what was your impression of her? Was it Lord of the Rings? Yes, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to be just one more of the pack, but yeah, definitely the first time that I remember seeing her is Lord of the Rings. And I'm pretty sure it must have been the first time that I saw her for real, just based on the movies that she made before. I don't think she made a lot of like kids movies that yeah. I would have seen at the time. So definitely Lord of the Rings was my first impression. Definitely a little bit intrigued and a little bit perturbed because of reasons we've talked about with this whole Galadriel. Is she good? Is she evil? Kind she of scared thing. you a little bit, huh? She did. She did. She really did. And there's something about the movie um, that really stuck with me was, was that. Like that part, like I was saying, every time someone gets tempted by the ring, even like Sean Bean and, and the fact that he ends up dying at the end and this kind of thing, like these people can be good, but they can also be bad and can be tempted. That really affected me. So that was my uh, first impression of Kate Blanchett. And um, what's your favorite Kate Blanchett performance or film? This might be perhaps a little risky to say in a Kate Blanchett podcast, but for the longest time, I was kind of on the fence about Kate Blanchett. I have to admit. I'm gonna cut I, this bit. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go on, go on. <laughs> yes, I, I've been ejected. I <laughs> um, vanished. Um, no, but but I I mean I was young and and sometimes I was like I'm not sure like sometimes I love her and sometimes I'm like is she doing too much is she is she I don't get it and it was also the fact that so many people love Kate Blanchett and with good reason that I was a little bit feeling like I don't I don't I don't quite get it until the movie that really crystallized it for me and that it's still my favorite Kate Blanchett performance is Carol when I saw that movie. And, and the character, I thought that's just the perfect match from actor and character because Carol, a little bit like Galadriel, brings this kind of performativity and theatricality to herself that I think Kate mm -hmm. Blanchett is so good at doing. And the thing that you can, and because she's a great actress, you can see that she's putting up this quote-unquote performance as Carol, uh, the character, and inside she's kind of hurting, and inside she's insecure, but like she presents us so fabulous, you know? And I think that's just an incredible performance. I love, I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Carol is amazing. And for everybody listening who has been asking me to do Carol, I have big plans for Carol. Just keep listening. We're going to do several episodes about Carol and come at it from different uh, perspectives and different things. Not We're not going to treat it like any other movie in her filmography. Yeah. So now that you love Kate and her acting and her talent, what would you like to see from her in the future? Or who would you like to see her work with? Like she is going to work with James Gray. She already finished doing the new Guillermo del Toro movie. What, what mm -hmm. kind of movie or what, you know, actor, director, genre would you like to see her in? Yeah, th those are good. Um, I love James Grace. I'm really excited that she's going to be working with him. And, and I mean, she has already worked with so many directors that I love. She's worked with Wes Anderson. She's worked with Todd Haynes, obviously, and Carol. What would I like her... You know, what I really another performance that I really love of Kate Blanchett, and I wish she did more of this, is on the show Documentary Now, when oh, she yeah. plays 
basically like Marina Abramovich parody. Mm-hmm. And she's just so funny. And I think she's a very funny actor. And a lot of the time she uh, doesn't do that much comedy. Yeah. Partially because, think- you know, that we don't make that many comedies anymore. But, you know, I think she'd be great at that. And this is also a running theme for all my guests. They always mention that they would like to see her do more comedy, whether it's, you know, lighthearted comedy, like we just did an episode on Where Did You Go, Bernadette? And we talked about how Mm -hmm. maybe she could do more with Kristen Wiig or, um, and people also love that performance you mentioned as Marina Abramovich, which was really very funny. And one of the best things she did, you know, it was just half an hour. And, you know, Kate is known for her mimicry. She played Catherine Hepburn. She played Bob Dylan. So, you know, she could do that, but she's just, that was just a little bit more touch because usually when she plays a Catherine Hepburn, she can't comment too much, especially in a movie that's not really about Catherine Hepburn. But as Marina Abramovich, there was sort of an actress comment on the persona. And that was really wonderful to watch. And it's very funny. Mm-hmm. I would also love to see someone make like a, almost the opposite of I'm not there. Like instead of many people playing Bob Dylan, maybe it can be Kate Blanchett playing many different characters. Yeah. You know, like... Kate Blanchett as Lauren Bacall. Kate Blanchett as Betty Davis. Yeah, exactly. Like, give us like a like an actress roundtable in which Kate Blan- it's Kate Blanchett playing different actresses talking to each other or something. <laughs> but I would love it to be if it's you know just old Hollywood. You know, give me all the stars from the forties because she she has that sort of bigger than life persona that sort of fits the actors of that generation and that era. Absolutely. So, Conrado, thank you so much for coming on Sundays with Kate. This was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you about Lord of the Rings. And before you go, uh, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. So, you can find me uh, mostly on Twitter. If you go at CocoHitsNY, you will find my profile. And from there, you'll be able to get to my web series, Wormholes, which we talked about already. And I also co-host a podcast called the criterion project where we talk about movies in the criterion channel and criterion collection um so that's also available criterion project and mortada you have to come on the podcast sometime we would love to have you we'll find a a good movie for us to talk about yeah i would love to come on your uh, podcast it's a wonderful podcast everybody should check it out and you can find me on twitter at me underscore says or follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at sundays with Kate. all previous episodes of the podcast as well as show notes and other articles about kate are available at sundayswithkate.com and until next time thank you for listening